Hi, my name is Amanda Melindo, and you are listening to episode number five of Creative Confessionals. And guess who's back? It's Mina Vargas. <laughs> creative Confessionals is a podcast for radically honest conversations about art, design, and creative entrepreneurship from intersectional perspectives. Today, we're sharing our interview with Carissa Lucille, the founder of Wasted Ink Zine Distro and an organizer for the Phoenix Zine Fest. Yeah, and we're so excited about the third annual Phoenix Zine Fest, which is happening on October 28th. The event includes people from all over the U.S. who create DIY, small press publications, comics, photo books, art, and more. This event is so much fun, and it's so inclusive, and it's incredible to see people from all walks of life expressing themselves and coming together over zines and creativity. I love it. If you're in Arizona, I can't recommend attending enough. The event takes place from 11 a.m. to 5 p.m. at Unexpected Gallery, and you can take a look at the show notes for the address and some more information. Okay, Mina, who's Carissa? What's she all about? Carissa uses different art mediums like zine making, photography, and writing to share her ideas and to tell her story. She represents hundreds of artists through her zine, distro, and self-publishing in order to inspire change and create community impact. Carissa is currently working on a zine about endometriosis and how it's impacted her and her mother's life. You can find Carissa at Wasted Ink Zine Distro having a cup of coffee and reading zines. Basically, Carissa is amazing and she works so damn hard for her community. We had such a great conversation with her, and I hope you enjoy listening. I was probably eight years old when I was given my first film camera, and it was a small rectangular gray box with a red button on it. (laughs) And I took a lot of pictures of my thumb and my feet and just weird arms I have no idea (laughs) Uh, and they were all developed at Costco at the time yeah and this was while I lived in Hawaii and you would think that I would take really cool pictures as an eight-year-old but Mm -hmm. I mean really it was not very good yeah (laughs) um and and since then you know this theme of film photography always kept coming back in my life which was I mean I'm really grateful so then in high school I found a darkroom class again, and I was just kind of hiding in there um, for a lot of years in high school. I just felt so safe there Mm -hmm. and really enjoyed exploring shadows and leading lines and contrast and like all those beginner photography things. Yeah. After that, my stepdad, who was also into film photography and had his own darkroom, built me a darkroom when I was in college. That's awesome. It was the best setup I've ever had, of course. That's so cool. And I was able to continue it from there in my own learning. So Mm -hmm. I've only really taken that one high school class. And I took a photojournalism class in college, but it was all digital. Um, Otherwise, I'm self-taught. So it, it kind of just happened because I was really interested in it and interested in the process of photography and especially film and everything that goes into that. Mm-hmm. It's a really deep rabbit hole. Yeah, <laughs> so it is. <laughs> my passion for zines came out of necessity for me. It was a little bit more urgent feeling. Mm-hmm. Um, I was in my senior year of journalism college and I just felt like I had nowhere to publish yeah. what I needed to publish and things I wanted to say. 
especially here in Phoenix. So uh, a friend suggested I start a zine and I was like, what, what is that? And I immediately went and in a month I had my first zine. What interested you in um, like pursuing journalism in the first place? It's kind of this backward story about me really caring about environmentalism and sustainability and also knowing that I can make a difference with my writing. Mm-hmm. So I really wanted to be an environmental journalist and there was no program for that. So I kind of engineered one and took journalism and mass communication and sustainability. Mm-hmm. So I received my minor in sustainability. I don't think I knew that. Yeah. That's awesome. So, I mean, it is still like such a passion of mine to write and I am so passionate about environmentalism I just feel like we're screwed so yeah I don't really know if I have much more to say so now you are the like founder and owner of Wiz so with a journalism background and a photography and zine background how did you go from that to running a business like where'd you get those skills (laughs) well I don't even know if I have the skills really it just kind of (laughs) One thing led to another, and I just kept putting one foot in front of the other, mm-hmm. and I definitely reached out when I needed help, because there were points that I was like, I don't know how to do this. I don't know how to do accounting. I don't know how to deal with business licensing, which is a nightmare in Arizona. <laughs> you don't know what you're doing, um, yeah. you know, and I didn't know how to handle consignment for 200 people. I didn't... Mm-hmm know how to really handle all the behind the scenes stuff. Like I know how to set up a shop. I know how to make it look cute. I know how to network and get people together and do all that outward facing stuff. But the behind the scenes stuff of actually running a business was, I was at a complete loss. Mm -hmm. So I really reached out and found people that could help me and come up with procedures and systems behind the scenes that would make things so much easier for me and so that I could focus on the good stuff. I guess knowing that, like, what made you feel confident that you could open up a, like, a brick and mortar store? It's just the funniest thing because in my head, I thought, okay, let's, you know, try this out for a few months, Mm -hmm. right? And I started off with 30 zine vendors and people we were working with. And I thought, wow, this is great. This is good. And it just grew so rapidly. Yeah. I wasn't expecting it. I really didn't know where... It would lead and now right. it's led to this beautiful expansive place yeah I remember working at Pimping Camera with you and like overnight it seemed like you were all of a sudden like I'm opening up a scene store down the street I like barely knew you at that point but I was very impressed <laughs> yeah it's a it's kind of a wild venture I mean still to this day I'm in awe of how many voices it represents. It Mm -hmm. kind of feels like when I'm in the distro, I feel, this sounds crazy, but I feel like there's like a chorus of people there and they're all just like waiting for someone to walk in and and realize them and see them. That's amazing. Yeah, and I'm like, like, it's such a tingly feeling and I'm like, holy crap, this is important. Yeah, Like this is so much more than like, you know, a traditional store. Mm -hmm. You know, it really is like a gateway for people to find... Uh, another person they relate to right and like by and large most of those zines have passed through hands it's not just like mass-produced books on a shelf it's like people are binding with their souls their souls (laughs) and like (laughs) putting in those staples and additioning things out and it's 
It really is so much more personal. It's a place of inspiration. And I hope that people are inspired there, but they also feel like they have enough resources to make their own and participate in the community rather than just observe. Mm -hmm. That is amazing. So what about art? How has that played into what you do and how have you kind of learned the skills to both sustain your business and also continue your passion for photography by taking on more not necessarily professional art opportunities but elevated art opportunities getting more involved with I guess the quote fine art community so it's been a really interesting series of transitions because at first I really felt like I needed to prove myself as a professional artist. Mm -hmm. So I had to take really kind of commercial photography gigs. I had to be, you know, very cut and dry. I wanted to be um, very crisp with my Mm -hmm. imagery and my art um, and not really show any vulnerability or let people in necessarily to my own life. And it shifted about, I would say, Now it's been about two years of a shift where I have been making more personal art, Mm -hmm. um, and that includes photography and zines, Mm -hmm. and it's been a lot of self-exploration. So I think I really came to a point where I wasn't liking what I was making. It felt inauthentic to me, Mm -hmm. and you know, while I still shot an engagement this year and multiple headshots and like families and things like that, they're more people that I really connect to already. Yeah. And so it doesn't feel like I'm pushing so hard to be a professional photographer, mm-hmm. but really I'm just photographing my friends and family when they need it. Yeah. And that feels so much better to me, like personally, instead yeah. of trying to build this massive portfolio when there's so many people already doing that. And for me, it just felt like the images had empty meaning and mm-hmm. I wanted to change it up. Mm-hmm. Do you think kind of, I wouldn't say like kind of stepping away from more commercial photography work. Do you feel like you've been able to reinvest more energy into what you're doing with your personal work and with WIST? Absolutely. I think, you know, I'm a Libra, so everything's about balance. And I'm always trying to figure out, okay, if I have this amount of energy and I can move it into a different area and I can kind of like refigure things and, you know, cut out this and move this here, maybe then everything will be perfect. (laughs) You know, as far as art and life and business and all of the things I juggle. um, But I really do think that when I was able to focus on my own personal work more, that allowed me the space to really investigate more about myself and Mm -hmm. learn and grow whereas I really didn't have time for that a few years ago reach out when you need help okay because I don't know I see so many I've worked with small businesses my my whole life and to see you know a CEO or a director kind of hit the ground running and grow so fast that a lot of things fall through the cracks they just need help like no one to ask for help exactly yeah Yeah, that's Mm -hmm. exactly it everything I do is collaborative which Mm -hmm. is amazing but it's also a really kind of tight line to walk um, because I'm collaborating with groups of one or two I'm collaborating with groups of 12 I'm collaborating with groups of a hundred mm-hmm. and it's so many levels of communication and relationships and trust that I wish I would have had just so much more like training before going into all these collaborations in order to really make them the best that they could be 
So I actually went through a workshop recently with my good friend, Devin Kate Pope, and it's called A Mini Guide to Building a Collaboration That Makes Your Life Better. And it was a lot of like questions that you fill out yourself about what you bring to a collaboration, what other people can bring to a collaboration. But it really helped me understand how to make it work better because, Mm -hmm. you know, there are so many things that come up and a lot of these collaborations are volunteer based. They're, they're not work that is paid. So there has to be a level of give and take between people that I don't know if I fully wrapped my mind around before jumping in head first. Yeah, I think, I mean, it's so hard to interact with people on that level to like produce something. I feel like it goes back to balance, like again, like finding it but it's going to be unique in every situation. Yes. Right. So. It's so it's so easy to like get off kilter. Like either take on the whole thing and take on too much or right. people letting like egos get in the way or you know just inherent personality types not meshing well and you don't know how to <laughs> And really fix it. when it comes down to it life happens yeah. in collaborations and when life happens it comes first mm-hmm. and there has to be an honest level of communication between collaborators to say hey this life thing is in the way right now and this is how I'll probably resolve it and this is how long it might take but I just need flexibility yeah and that kind of communication is sometimes lost in ego mm-hmm. for sure yeah absolutely have you collaborated with non-creatives and if so like how is that different from collaborating with creatives on creative projects you know oh man that's such a great question I guess another way to put it is like how would a creative collaboration differ from like working uh as a team at a job it differs in the goal the the end goal for everyone so when you have a goal that's job related it can be more tedious it can be like you're pulling hair just to get people to cooperate and work together Mm -hmm. especially if they don't like each other but when you have something that's community-based and you're working towards a project or an art show or something that is good for you and good for other people there's much more willingness to participate there's willingness to kind of put aside differences and just kind of move forward even if we don't all super duper like each other Mm -hmm. I feel like people are they understand the goal and they're willing to work towards it whereas in work (laughs) it's kind of like how are you gonna make me do this yeah (laughs) like I dare you to try exactly and it is not not fun yeah it is not fun yeah I have two group projects going on like simultaneously right now. I'd be like this like unwilling like leader, but like somebody had to take on the role. Yes. <laughs> like, yeah. Now I'm just like bossing everybody around via text like 24/7. I've been called a border collie before. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Border collies are super cute. Though. It's like are they exceptionally like bossy dogs? Like, <laughs> oh yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> They're herding dogs oh, for okay. sure. Oh, okay. Makes sense. Yeah. yeah. How would you recommend, especially to somebody that maybe doesn't know what it takes to collaborate and really wants to start diving into a bigger project that will require more people, um, how would you recommend setting clear guidelines? It's really important to find someone you click with, Mm -hmm. just on a friend level, that you're 100% vibing with. And that really lays a good foundation to build projects on top. Yeah. Um, I think just trying to get to know who the person is 
is very important Mm -hmm. because if you jump into a really big project, like without really understanding who that person is, it can spiral and all of a sudden you don't know where you are and where the project is and it just kind of seems overwhelming. Um, I think also a good idea might be to take on a smaller project together and just try it out. Like very, very small bite (laughs) of a project just to see how it goes and see if you're a good fit for one another. We could test drive. Yes, exactly. Mm -hmm. And then you can say, okay, here's the project. And also understand the project that you're bringing to the table and ask those long-term questions. Like what happens if this starts making money? You know, what happens is if this is a long-term project and it extends our deadlines, ask those questions ahead of time instead of scrambling at the end. How do you find the time and energy to make WISD work and uh, continue to support Phoenix's zine community while continuing on with your own creative practice? It is a challenge to find time to keep wasting running and support the community and make my own art. When I think back to the years that have been very productive for me and I published 10 zines in one year and now I'm down to maybe I'll squeak two out this year, mm-hmm. that that always shows me that like I'm prioritizing differently. This year for Wasted Ink has been transformational. I really focused on a lot of goals that I wanted to see happen in Wasted Ink. And I calculated the other day that I've already done 50 events this year for Wasted Ink. And it's only September. That is so much. So that being said, I don't really go out for fun outside of Wasted Ink. So next year I'm going to try to like pay attention to that and make sure that's still a part of my life. I'm a very big introvert and so it's very comfortable for me to just stay at home because I work from home and it's so Mm -hmm. lovely and quiet and safe that sometimes I just don't go out and like participate outside of Wasted Ink. So it's a a constant balance and you know the the work I've put out this year is, is more personal and that requires a lot more focus. Instead of you know pulling all everyone else has kind of worked together and piecing it together for a publication. Now I'm having to do deep dives on myself and produce something I'm proud of about myself. And that's, yeah. that takes much more time I figured out. So mm-hmm. what did it require of you to make that transition? Like to really be willing to look introspectively to make your own work? I think what happened was I reached this point with Femstatic where I knew that the series isn't over yet, but I needed to take some time to learn mm-hmm. more because I feel like we're all human. I'm human and I'm, I'm not done learning, especially about feminism. So I felt like I needed to take a step back from the project and let it simmer while I did my own self-exploration as well as just more learning about intersectional feminism. I just yeah. needed to take a step back. And it's been really challenging but it's been really beautiful. Um, I think that whenever someone decides to clean out the cobwebs in the corners of their mind that they don't really enjoy being in, there's a lot of good and bad that comes out of it. And it's a process to navigate and heal. And I've just, I've been through some shit. So Mm -hmm. it's, it's been really interesting to make art about those things in an attempt to process it and understand where I am now so like taking that moment of like self-reflection and like yeah definitely I think that's important with all the community work that you do for sure how could you do that without you don't know yourself yeah exactly and there was a point where I just felt like you know I just felt like I just kept dumping my bucket out 
you know, and I was like, well, who pours into me? Who gives back to me? Who replenishes me? And at the end of the day, it's me. I also think that I was really required to do a lot more introspection and processing through my own stuff because I was physically forced to slow down. Mm -hmm. I wasn't able to keep up anymore with the demands that I created for myself with my business and my community and my jobs and things like that. I really had to slow down and spend a lot of quiet time by myself because my endometriosis got to the point where I had to quit my job. It got to the point where I couldn't really get out of bed some days. Mm -hmm. And so I really did just have to sit with myself. And I was very bored. So a lot of art came out of those times. Mm -hmm. What time frame kind of was that? I mean, from now. So I got diagnosed officially after 10 years of weird chronic pain. Yeah. I got diagnosed officially in spring of 2016. And it was hard and weird then but it wasn't debilitating completely Mm -hmm. and from there things progressively got worse and it got to the point in the summer of 2017 where I had my period for like six weeks straight and I just felt like I was dying like I just had no answers yeah and every day was horrible and so at that point I was like I gotta quit my job (laughs) Like, I can't do mm-hmm. this shit yeah, anymore. <laughs> for sure. And it was very fast-paced. It was an agency job that just put a lot of pressure on me. And um, I just couldn't do it. Like, there's a thing that happens with endometriosis where your brain on pain doesn't work right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so that kind of level of output just wasn't happening at that time. So um, I quit my job August 2017 and um, started a different job where I got, I got to work from home. Mm-hmm. And that like change things immediately because I could just work in my bed if I needed to. You know what I mean? Right. And then from there, it continued to get like worse and kind of fluctuate. But I spent a lot of that time kind of bedridden. Like I just wouldn't go out anymore. I couldn't really do anything physical, like uh, dress myself all the time or like take showers by myself and like that kind of thing, Mm -hmm. which was um, kind of crazy because I really like being active. I really like doing physical things. And it just kind of all slowed to a halt. Um, I think I made the decision to have surgery in January of 2017. No, 2018, this year. So you said that a lot of art came out of this time period. Do you want to talk about that? I have a really good friend named Brianna, and she says to take pictures when I'm sad. And that has always stuck with me because... It gives me a good baseline to see where I am and how far I've come. Mm-hmm. And so I photographed the entire experience of being so sick. And because it's an invisible chronic illness, to, to come up with creative ways that show the chronic illness that are not based on shock value yeah. has been really interesting and an interesting challenge for me as well. Um, also just writing a lot because... There's so much that goes into not, it's not only just pain based, but it's also emotion based. And mm-hmm. it's not like you can separate the two. Yeah. So it's been um, a lot of writing, a lot of photography. Um, and I'm putting it all together in a zine. So I thought in my mind, I'm like, I'll have it done by July. No. Because I realized that it's so much more than just me. 
Mm-hmm. You know, this could be a collaborative piece where I invite, you know, so many women into and people who have endometriosis into this conversation. But I've just decided to bump it out one person, and it's my mother because she suffered severe endometriosis as well oh, wow. and ovarian cancer. Mm-hmm. And so to bring her into the mix and to talk about like our health as a family has really evolved the work so much more than me just telling my own story. Yeah. I can't wait for that to come out. I know. And just photographing like her and I together has been like so powerful. Have yeah. you done that before? No, I, I'm kind of afraid of photographing my family, which sounds crazy, <laughs> but it's very hard for me to photograph the people I love mm-hmm. because I'm so scared that that will be like the last picture or something crazy like that. I know it sounds ridiculous. So for me to be like, mom, do you want to be in my art project? Mm-hmm. You know, it was kind of, she was like, oh, I don't know you know, explain it more. And I was like, okay, we're just going to sit together and hold hands. And she's like, well, is my face in it? Like she was so like, <laughs> um, and then of course, you know, it was over like that. And the pictures are just, they're not as great technically as I would like them to be. But the fact that I made them and the fact that they exist yeah, is beautiful. And I know that this also just opens a door where I can photograph us together more in the future. Mm-hmm. Definitely. So do you want to talk a little bit about the challenges that came with, you know, taking a step back from Wiz to like focus on your health and surgery specifically? Definitely. There was a point in 2017 where I was doing my thing. It was like first or third Friday. I don't remember. I was going downtown. I was going to set up my little table and table zines. And I just started my period out of the blue and it just came so fast. And I ended up like getting super sick. And there was just no way for me to table. And it was like Mm -hmm. a crisis situation. And understanding that and seeing how fast it escalated and how fast I was not okay was a big wake-up call for me. Mm -hmm. And I knew that I had to like restructure my priorities around Wasted Ink and put in a lot of support and backup. So it was really hard. But after my surgery, I had all the shifts covered by interns and volunteers and someone even went to Utah to table a fest in my place for me. Yeah. That's so cool. And it was really hard to just sit at home and like watch everything on Facebook and Instagram. But like even like a few days after surgery, I was like, I want to go to Wasted Ink. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I want to (laughs) go. And I obviously could not even stand up. So (laughs) there was such a drive to like be there. But I honestly was nervous. I was like, you know, this could fall flat on its face this month, which would be fine, but that would suck. And it was seamless. It was flawless. And that just showed me like, dang, this is self-sustaining. Everyone supports this. Yeah. And I am not the glue holding it together. The community is the glue holding it together. And I am just a part of it. And that was so reassuring to experience. Yeah, that has to feel like just like so good knowing that this thing that you created is thriving. Yeah, I can nudge it yeah. time to time, but I don't have to be conducting or anything like yeah. that, you know. Yeah. It's not about you. It's about yeah. them and the zines and the yes. people. That's so beautiful. I think almost every interview we've had so far, it always comes back to community. When we ask, like, what what's your biggest word of advice? Everyone's like, you have to find your your friends, like the people that are going to hold you through 
And that's exactly why I started Wasted Ink because I had no one and I had nowhere that I belonged to. I had no place that felt safe enough for me to explore myself and explore others. It just mm-hmm. it did not exist. And so I said, well, if I feel this way, maybe other people feel this way. And I just need to create this like queer, weird, amazing place. Mm-hmm. And you did it. Yeah. I love it when I'm talking to people and then I'm like, have you heard of Wiz? And it's like somebody I have no, like I just met them on the street. And I'm like, <laughs> like strangers. You're like, hi. You're like accosting people. Let me tell you about something. <laughs> I really love it. And they're like, yeah, I do. I really love it when people tell me about the Phoenix Zine Fest. <laughs> That's great though. And I'm like, hi. <laughs> tell me more. We're doing it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and they're like, oh, there's this really great fest. Or I see them wearing the shirts and I don't know them. And I'm like, that's so cool. That is so much fun. That feels really cool. You know, it's also been a challenge to make art and do projects and travel and just be a human when you have chronic illness because my whole bag used to be full of a pharmacy. Like I had no idea what that day would bring me. And I just Mm -hmm. always had to like be super prepared. Um, And now I just have ibuprofen in my bag. (laughs) It's crazy. Yeah. It's a huge change. That is amazing. Yeah. Like everybody has ibuprofen in their bag. Yeah. Like it's just very normal. And I'm not like terrified that I'll have like an emergency. Yeah. To have that freedom. I mean, you know, trying to plan ahead is really hard when you have a chronic illness. But my mom told me, don't pre-cancel your life. Shit's going to happen. You just have to live your life and deal with it as it comes. But don't just, like, cancel everything and, Mm -hmm. you know, take on this role of, like, I will stay in bed forever. Yeah, that's, like, solid advice. Yeah, Yeah. I was like, okay, I will go to San Francisco. Thanks, Mom. (laughs) Yeah, like, it's easier said than done, but a really good thing to remind yourself. Thanks, Chris's mom. Yeah, thanks, Mom. (laughs) (laughs) So zine culture, I think what makes it so special and what, you know, once people learn what it is – and learn about zines it's so compelling is that it's so accessible and everyone's making a zine and no one can tell you to stop making a zine (laughs) and maybe some people will read your zine maybe a lot of people will read your zine and then all of a sudden people across the country are reading your work or looking at your work um it's so inclusive and there's so many just phenomenal stories that are told by people Because all you have to do is get some paper and put it together. All that to say, what can traditional art forms learn from zines? And what can the traditional art and design world that kind of has these like dogmas and these hierarchies, what do they need to learn from? Like a subculture. Yeah, a subculture. Yeah. Yeah. My favorite part about zines is that there are no rules. So you can do it however you want and some people are kind of uncomfortable with that amount of freedom they're <laughs> yeah. like wait what's the outline what's the structure how do I do this like yeah and I just I just love it like I will make any I'll make a circular zine I will make any zine I want like I there's just no end yeah and there is no rules mm-hmm. and I think that's really beautiful I can make a zine that's as hard-hitting as endometriosis or feminism and I can also make a zine about slime you know, like, there's such a, I don't yeah. care, like, whatever I want to do. Right. And I feel like um, in other art forms, there's so many times where I was told I couldn't do this, or I yeah. shouldn't do that, or that's not how it's done, and this is highbrow, and, and it's just so limiting. My question is why? Yeah. Why not? Absolutely. 
Oh, because you think it's not going to go in a museum? It's not going to go in a museum. It's like, it's okay. Yeah. Like, <laughs> it, so often, I feel like some of the most revolutionary artists have been told that exact same and thing. Then and then it's literally in museums. <laughs> yes. <laughs> like, exactly. Yeah. And it's just kind of, um, you know, especially with photography, I was immediately kind of matched with all these people who had, you know, all these rules. Oh, well, that's not how we do it. Or you shouldn't shoot like that. Or Mm -hmm. you should probably not use all those weird things you do. Don't do that. That's not traditional. And I'm like, hi, nice to meet you. I'm not going to play by your rules. Yeah. And I think that kind of mentality and outside the box thinking came from um, me being homeschooled because I was already taught to like trust my instincts and my intuition and follow through with the way I wanted to see things go and how I wanted to learn and progress instead of being like forced into these arbitrary systems that don't work for the way I learn or create. Yeah. Yeah. We had an assignment last year and it was to make a zine and like my peers were so overwhelmed (laughs) and like upset and like everybody was just like dying about it. And I was like, oh my God, finally, here's a project I will excel in. Like it was my best grade of the whole year, like in anything, like all these design babies, like Like, they're like structure and like everything's so like rigid and they're like high school. Yeah. (laughs) And I was just like, I get to like cut up a thousand magazines. I made like a huge mess my mom was like ready to like murder me over it like exactly I went through like a stack like this big of old like Vogue and Mm -hmm. like mostly like Vogue magazines and I cut out like every eyeball and pair of lips in them so I left behind like these terrifying like faceless women I remember that (laughs) night because you were here and I was like doing I was cutting mat board for you for like another reason because I'm like I'm a pro at cutting mat board you cut those eyeballs and we were just like losing our minds but I was like but I've got this and it was like so expressive and creative and it told a story like with mostly like imagery which was really cool I love that so much because there there really is so much expression yeah and when I made my first zine I like brought it out to my mom and I was like mom will you read this I don't know what I'm doing (laughs) and she read through it she's like it's really good but I feel like you're writing scared you need to knock that shit off I was like, oh, what do you mean? And she's like, you're writing so apologetically. Like, this is a zine. Yeah. This is radical. Like, if you're going to take a stance, then take that stance and sing it. And I'm like, okay, fine. (laughs) So everything that I've done since then, I'm like, well, I'm doing this, so might as well make it my best. Yeah. Make it as authentic and as real and Carissa as possible. Mm -hmm. Your mom is the coolest. She is. She's a hero. When you were talking about structure in photography it just like took me back to working at Tempe Camera and just thinking about how the misogyny in photography is outrageous and I just felt like I wanted to bring that up just like in art I feel like art and design architecture is like Mm -hmm. all men and often they would ask me if I wanted to model it in their photos and I'd be like, no, 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 I'm the photographer. Yeah. Like, yeah. you model. Let me put milk on your head. <laughs> I don't care. Yeah. <laughs> like, oh, yeah, you want? You think I'm an alternative model? No, guess what you are. No, yeah. We're not doing this. Even just the way they would so quickly photograph me without my permission Ew. was so interesting. Oh, yeah. They'd be, like, Ugh. working with another man and come take a picture of my face to test the lens. And, like, the, those very tiresome 
acts of misogyny where it was just like, I don't want to put up with this mm-hmm. at all. It yeah. made me angry. Yeah. It put a it lot should. of fire behind me. Yeah. <laughs> like <laughs> when people aren't angry, I'm always like, why aren't you mad? <laughs> like you should be mad. That's not okay. Oh yeah. yeah. Like, oh yeah. Their lack of anger fuels mine. Yeah. <laughs> like it's like this toxic like yeah. thing. I think we've all been in toxic work environments. What yeah. do you do with that? How does that affect your creativity? For me and for most people, the best solution has been to like cancel it get out of there yeah but like how do you cope with it when you have to at my last job I told myself okay you can work here for two years and I could only work there for one year and mm-hmm. that was totally okay mm-hmm. um, but it was it was so much creativity and brain space that I didn't have anything left at the mm-hmm. end of the day I didn't have any time to think about wasted ink or my own art or what I felt or thought. I was like, I am done. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I was just burned out like so fast. And that's just, you know, the model. They want to like turn and burn as many young millennials as possible sure. in order to make a buck. Yeah. Fuck that. That's so many different like fields too. It doesn't even matter what like industry <laughs> yeah. you're in. They're just like, we're here to break your soul. We're going to take everything we can out of you, spit you out, like yeah. you know, chew you up, spit you out, and then move on to the next like yeah. unsuspecting soul. Yeah. And like, also just pretend they're like so progressive. Yeah. And they're not. Yeah, all under the guise of being, like, really cool and, like, yeah. chill. And they're not chill. Like, they're out to destroy you. That's mm-hmm. something like, It's so interesting because being a naive college art grad, you know, you think you want just any job that will let you be creative. No. Or any job related no, to you photography. Don't. <laughs> no, you <And> don't. <laughs> I remember, like, working at Tempe Camera and... I did not pick up my view camera the whole six months I worked there. And then I went to a marketing agency and like as soon as they realized I was really talented and creative, they kind of started outsourcing stuff that they didn't ever offer before because they were like, she can do it. They're like, you can make an infographic. I'm like, well, no, I don't, you can't. I'm they're like, we're also not going to pay you to do it. But do right, it. right. Yeah, like, um, and that turn out to be a nightmare and you're not are you working in creative so I have a lot of creative freedom Mm -hmm. um, but it's not the main thing that I'm focusing on Mm -hmm. so I'm an operations manager for an international education firm so Mm -hmm. I handle everything like invoicing travel international travel all the behind the scenes stuff scheduling that kind of stuff just event management and program management Mm -hmm. which is what I'm really, really good at. And every once in a while, they're like, can you please edit this graphic? Because we don't know how. Yeah. I'm like, all right, (laughs) sure. And then I'm like, here it is in five minutes, you know? (laughs) (laughs) Um, But it isn't like that is what I'm supposed to do is like creating content. I'm just managing Mm -hmm. people. It's so much easier than draining me of creativity. Yeah, like they will suck you dry. Oh, yeah. Like, yeah. No regrets. Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. I think, I mean, that's definitely, well, I mean, my job now is really creative. I think the fact that, like, I have a little more freedom and I do have to do other things than besides just, you know, pumping out page after page of copy and editing images and stuff. I can come home and I can do my, I can make my art. I can do our podcast. <laughs> yeah. I can work on after art. Like, I, I think for some people, like, if you find that that dream job in the creative field that is a good environment and it lets you come home and make your work, you don't good, feel exhausted. good for you, yeah. but, like, like yeah. It's when not- you're making so much art for other people, there's nothing left for you. I feel like I try to tell people 
you may have a new job and like go in and like set a pace don't let them know everything you're good at yeah don't like super super sell yourself reach like half of your potential so they don't destroy you and then that's the expectation Mm -hmm. not only do that but do that with no guilt or like remorse because it's like you don't owe them your soul it's a job this new job is so amazing and i really like it for the first time in my life yeah Mm -hmm. i'm like oh wow i get to learn new things and it's at my own pace and i can like let you know if i don't understand something without feeling like i'm gonna get fired right yeah (laughs) or be looked down upon yeah yeah I also feel like when you work in like a creative field, you know, where we worked at Tempe Camera, I felt like I was at the center of a creative world where everyone else was making art and I was Mm -hmm. just helping them. You're like a cop. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm like, I don't want to help you anymore. I want to make my own art. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I want to do the things and I want to have the time to do the things instead of standing here talking to you about your art. We talked a little bit already about you balancing whizzed with your art. When you throw in a full-time job, how do you balance that? I get up really, really early in the morning. I get up at like six every morning. And those few hours before I start work, before I log on are for my brain. And mm-hmm. they're to like send out emails, they're to do all the social media posting, they're to map out ideas for programs. They're just that it's that time for progress. It's when mm-hmm. I scan film. It's quiet. Usually no one I know is going to message me at six in the morning. Mm-hmm. So, um. Oh, I will. But <laughs> <laughs> I think I I'm so We text back and forth at like dawn. Yes. Like, yeah. Yeah. I am an early riser <laughs> really? for sure. And that's just because I need that, that time for myself. Yeah. I'm not going to get it any other time. So, yeah. you know, I go to bed early. I wake up early. And that's just been something I've been doing for years now. Mm-hmm. Because I need to carve out at least that time to say, okay, where am I with everything? Because, you know, often in the past, there were times where I was like kind of doing stuff under the table at work. <laughs> like, oh my God, I need, like, especially Zine Fest, that thing came really, really quick a few years ago. Yeah. And I just had to like get it done. Um, and so now that I have this process in place, it's so much easier to kind of gallop instead of being like sneaky about art. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> so. Don't be sneaky. <laughs> Good advice. What advice would you give any like new or emerging artists or designers just based on your own experiences? I think that obviously every person is different. They're going to have different needs. And I am by no means an expert in how to get started. But here's a few things that I wish someone told me. You should set clear guidelines for collaboration. Know who you're working with. Schedule fun in with the work. Find organizational flows that work best for you and stick with them. Show up when you're able to. Take care of yourself first and foremost. Match attention and intention and apply both to your work. And know when to take a break. When you say match attention with intention, can you expand on that? That's so interesting. Yeah. I love it. So basically, I see a lot of people going full speed ahead with such great ideas and such good attention to their ideas, and they're very focused, And but I don't know if they've really checked their intentions. Like, what, Ask the questions like, why are we doing this? Mm-hmm. Who will it impact? Who are we working with? Who aren't, aren't we working with? Like all those things about... Like, the why is really important to me. And so if you have really good intentions, that might not be enough. Because you might not be paying attention to, like, all those other questions. Yeah. But you really have to have both in Mm -hmm. order to make something good and genuine happen instead of just 
you know, standing on top of a box shouting at people. Mm-hmm. That's important. Yeah. That is great. That's like a solid piece of advice. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. And then as for organizational flows, like, do you have any of your, like, own trade secrets about, like, what works for you that maybe somebody listening might find inspiration in? I keep a crazy calendar. Everything's on my calendar. Because I can't hold anything in my brain. I have very bad ADD. So I'm like everywhere all at once and nowhere at the same time. Yeah. So, um, I get that completely. <laughs> write everything down or I will yeah. do nothing. Yeah. I'm yeah. like, cool, good. Everything's great. So I keep a really, really detailed calendar. And I remember showing it to my friend and she was like, oh my God. <laughs> oh, how do you have so many things on your calendar? I don't know. I schedule like breaks to get water. I'm very detailed because otherwise I'm all over the place. I also do this crazy, awesome thing called timer training for my Mm -hmm. ADHD. I basically set a timer and I'm not allowed to do anything else except that one thing. And that timer, sometimes it's five minutes. That timer, sometimes like 25 minutes, depending on the day. But that really helps me stay focused Mm because otherwise, like I would try to work on five things at once. And I can't do that efficiently. (laughs) That's great advice. I'm going to try that. Yeah, timer (laughs) training is awesome. Because, like, like, every six months, I'm like, my life is a mess. (laughs) Yeah. And, like, I need to do dishes. Like, oh, my God, what's happening? And then I'm like, okay, just get back into my routines. I'm a very routine-oriented person. Just because my brain is, like, a scrambled egg. And so when I have have routines and organization set in place that helps the creativity happen without panic – attached to it so it's taken a long time but I also made some decisions early on in my life about not being medicated for ADHD and Mm -hmm. let my brain be as creative as possible with guidelines yeah I literally have done the same thing recently it's hard I went back to school in the workforce I was medicated and then I was like I'm gonna go back to school and stop taking medication at the same time it is so and hard like, good for you yeah girl. <laughs> like last year broke me but I made it like I, I made feel it so like, hard yeah. and like, it's funny because my partner will just be like how can you not sit and I'm like oh because I'm hyper focused on something yeah. else <laughs> I don't want to sit because people are like you never sit you never sit but it's genetic too my mom never sits my brother who's six won't sit he's like spinning all the time just yeah trying to, like, self-stimulate and here I am, like, playing with a toy under the table right now. Yeah, like, I can't stop moving. Amanda's going to have to edit out all the horrible noise I'm making. <laughs> okay, we're going to leave so, it. Like, yeah. yeah, I mean, yeah. I just feel like, you know, for me, it was a personal, like, good choice for me to make. And I've just had to really work with my brain to see what it's capable of. Because it's, yeah. like, a kind of amazing place. And if I can just put some structure in there that will help it thrive and survive, then I feel like I have a lot more freedom. Yeah, it's a lot of work. Also, like, acceptance. This is going to take me longer than it would take to do medication, and I have to accept that, and that's okay. Yeah, Mm -hmm. and like I said, like, every six months, I'm like, my life is a mess. Yeah. And then I have to just go back to those routines, firm them up a little bit. (laughs) Yeah. Going back to your health and endometriosis do you have any thoughts for an artist or designer that is suffering from chronic illness I have so many yeah (laughs) for me it was really an interesting discovery about saying like okay I am chronically ill I do suffer with this illness and it's not going anywhere Mm -hmm. it's never going to be cured my life might look better or worse for the next years I have no control over that and accepting that was really hard Mm-hmm. Um, but I also decided to not let it define me. And so I am so much more than just chronically ill. Mm-hmm. I am even so much more than just being queer. I am so much more than, you know, 
being a survivor. Like there's so many defining words that I can apply myself, Mm -hmm. but as a whole, I'm a mixture of everything. And so I think it's just another facet of who I am and who I'm growing into. I would also say that, you know, people who are artists who are suffer with chronic illness or disability or even mental illness, like Mm -hmm. I just hope that people know they're not alone out there. And that's what's really beautiful about zines is that they bring everyone together. And there you have it. We hope you can make it to Phoenix Zine Fest if you live in the area. You can follow along with Carissa, Wizd, and the Phoenix Zine Fest through the links in the podcast description. Subscribe, give us all the stars, and shower us with compliments via Apple Podcast reviews and... Give us lots of love and validation. And we're the greatest and tell us how awesome we are and how you can't live without us. Because we are needy bitches. We are so needy. But really, it would really help. Thank you for listening. If you are, if anyone is out there. People are listening. People are listening. Thank you, guys. Yes. Thank you. (laughs) It's hard to believe, but people are listening. Can you believe? I cannot believe. (laughs) (laughs) All right. All right. Well... Yes, thank you for listening. If you love what we're doing, please, uh, not just for our own inflated egos. Give so us, inflated. <laughs> give us some stars for, you know, the algorithms and such. And but, the egos. But other than that, we will talk to you again in two weeks when we premiere our next episode.